hey, you know what? How come that uh, every time we worship, we have two hours of worship, and it seems like it is here and it's gone? Is this the fastest two hours of the week for you guys? It certainly is for me. Anyway, I'm going to invite you guys to uh, open up your Bibles. Isn't that a great thing to do? Open up our Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. As we continue on in our study and reading of uh, the Word of God in the book of Mark. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Let's pray. Father, we come asking You for Your help. We don't study this as a matter of routine, but as a matter of great concern and deep-seated need that we have so that You will take the words that come out of my throat and out of my mouth. Speak through them and take our minds and help us to think and take our hearts and set them ablaze for Jesus Christ. In His name, Amen. Have you ever noticed that Jesus says some difficult things? Things that are really hard to understand, like hard sayings. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, Did you notice this one? Has it ever kind of bothered you in some way? (laughs) Well, He seems to make some statements sometimes. You notice I qualify that. He seems to make some statements that are contradictory to His very character, His very nature, when He says and does things to different than what He normally would do. And that's what we're going to examine today as he makes quite a statement that sounds rather harsh. Sounds very harsh. Matter of fact, he seems to ignore her with his silence. If you look at Matthew, it'll talk about silence. Uh, Also, we'll notice that uh, he says that he came to the house of Israel and really not to the Gentiles. He also associates her as a dog. (laughs) Now, what is he saying? What is going on here that Jesus would make these statements? If we ever said something like that, we would be in all sorts of trouble. But Jesus, we know, and we have seen through the book of Mark, and we already know who He is, He's so compassionate. He is such a loving God. He's done miracles. He's just done great things. He's very caring, isn't He? And in this situation, we know the outcome of the story, so we say, okay, yeah, he he did do that, but what caused him to say something that before? Uh, There has to be something more to that statement than what first appears there. There's there's something deeper that Jesus is saying that at first meets the ear. So, we're going to attempt to discover the meaning of this 
this mysterious hard saying that Jesus has. Now, when this incident is seen against the backdrop, the background, it is very moving. It's very extraordinary. This is a really extraordinary story, folks. I know you've read it, heard it many times probably. But this is one of the great moments in the ministry of Jesus. Now, if we look back to where we left off last week, we'll note that He was talking to the Pharisees and then He talked to the crowd and and the disciples. But He had a discourse. He's usually in action and this time He uh, actually is speaking as Mark records it here. And it's about the Pharisees' view of the outward way rather than the inward. And Jesus is talking about the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, isn't it? And so He was trying to show them that what comes from here and goes out is what is eternally important. And so He does that and uh, He has made enemies throughout His ministry and He continues to make enemies and the Pharisees want to catch Him and be able to arrest Him and really they want to kill Him. We know that. And so after He's been talking about what's in the heart is what's defiling, it's time to take a field trip because He's not getting more popular as it goes along. We know that uh, the religious people here are getting very upset. So he's going to go to a Gentile land. Directly he will go to a Gentile land after that discourse that he had. And to the Jews, that would have been considered defiling. If you go there, you're going to get defiled. And that's why they continually wash themselves uh, ceremonially, if you remember that. If they came into really almost touching a Gentile or in the crowd of a Gentile, not even touching them, maybe even a hundred feet away, you're still in the air of the Gentiles, so you are dirty. You're defiled. You will have to go ceremonially clean yourself really good. So Jesus says, okay, watch this. Guys, let's go up to Tyre and Sidon region. Let's go up to the Gentiles. So they they take this field trip and he practices what he preaches. He had been breaking all the rituals and the traditions of men, right? I mean, he's he's doing things that uh, the things that they um, they had written, and he's doing the opposite. He just does what he does. He does do the law of God, though. Uh, my, they've rejected him. Nation is starting to reject him. And we're in the last part of his ministry. We're in the last year. Most of the rest of the time that Mark is going to record here is going to be dealing with the Gentiles. He's going to go to the Gentiles. And you'll notice that not only are the Pharisees against him, but Herod is uh, rather uh, against him too. Jesus is a menace to him. We know to uh, Nazareth, his hometown is against him. Some of his family is against him. It seems like everybody is against Jesus. We know better than that. There are still thousands uh, you know, following him, and he'll feed the 4,000. But um, he's disdained by many. It's time to make a getaway, time to get into a time of seclusion, a little bit of peace with the disciples. Much of his teaching from here on out is going to be with the disciples. He needs to get in this last minute teaching to them 
as they study Him. It's last-minute studying. The test is going to be coming up, and they're going to have to carry on through what He has started by the power of God's Spirit, of course. But this is forecasting the whole of history of the church because it starts with the Jews, but then it goes to the Gentiles. And this is a little picture. We haven't seen Jesus go to the Gentiles yet, and now He does. And uh, He really came for the Jews definitely first. So this rejection uh, of these Jewish leaders becomes the opportunity for this next section of verses that uh, Mark records here. And the next miracles, we will see uh, four, including this one today. Uh, Really, the Lord is going out. Unusual ministry, unusual territory, going into Gentile places, and He's dealing with Gentile people. Very different. So let's let's get with it. Let's uh, start right there in verse 24. Jesus got up and went away. He's uh, in the Capernaum area, if you remember. And that's where He spends a lot of time. There He's done more teaching. Gets up, He and His disciples, and they go to the region of Tyre. Jesus is leaving Israel. He's leaving where it's been a little more comfortable, but it's not quite as comfortable as it was. And He goes deep into Gentile territory. This gospel ministry that He's doing now, remember this uh, is in His last year. And it's the first time that He's going to uh, these two great cities. Two great cities of the Gentiles. Tyre and Sidon. Tremendously great. Historically, secularly, and also in the Bible you will see Tyre and Sidon. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, the region of Tyre would be known as the, the, the country is known as Phoenicia. And when you think of Phoenicia, you remember that uh, that was quite uh, the country that was known for its sailors. You think of uh, the natural harbors uh, that are there, two wonderful harbors in Tyre and Sidon. The sailors steered by the stars, these guys did. The Phoenicians were the first to do that. Normally, the sailors would be close to the coast, and then whenever it was night time, then uh, they would lay up for the night and try to stay and hug the coast a little bit. But the Phoenician sailors did far more, and they uh, circumnavigated the Mediterranean and went all the way to Britain. And also, it's uh, supposed that they went down to Africa. So that's quite the ancient sailors, isn't it? So Phoenicia is known for that, quite the seaport cities. They're the main cities in Gentile country. They're north and west of Galilee, somewhere about 40 to 50 miles from Capernaum is Tyre. So I'm giving you all this geographic stuff to help you kind of put yourself in this place. If you're uh, one of the disciples and you're following along, you're going to go up there with him so you kind of get an idea. It's like going to, uh, uh, what, maybe, how can I say it, maybe Centralia, something like that. Only a bigger city, right? Columbia is, what, 30 miles from here? I'm trying to think of something like 50 miles. Or maybe going down to the lake, you know, walking. And then you're going to have to come back. But he's going to come back a different way as he's going to be on the other side of the Jordan and come down through that way and then come back to uh, the North Galilee. And uh, that will be on his way then towards Judea. So,
So when he goes to Tyre, 40 to 50 miles, and another 20 miles to the sister city of Sidon. So this is quite a route that he's taken, and overall this little jaunt that he's doing, this little jaunt is going to amount to about 150 miles. And it's not going to be over the course of a couple of days or so. It's over a, at least a few weeks, if not months. So that's, that's where we're heading now. That's where we're going on, on this journey. Um, he follow, when he comes back, he's going to follow kind of like what it would be a highway, the road there, east, back across the mountains of Lebanon. You know, we're familiar with Lebanon and all they are in the news. And uh, really, you're dealing with the area of Syria, and that's really what the, uh, the area of Phoenicia was, and then over east. And then you go down to the south and the east of the, the Sea of Galilee, and you get into the Decapolis. Deca, ten, that's the ten cities. Ten cities that are really Gentile cities. Rather populated. And he's going to deal with that area there. So you see who he's dealing with now. Uh, he's been rejected. He's been rejected by his people. And he'll be rejected even more as he returns. So the twelve apostles are with him. What a great opportunity to train them. A long trip. Road trip. A lot of time. Not going to be bothered as much as he has been in Capernaum and all around Galilee. And whenever he does parables to people and doing publicly, uh, he will teach the parables to his disciples, his apostles, not to the crowds. So now he's in the time to intensify this training. He really needs to teach these disciples some more things and they will learn. Now, when he, when he says Tyre and Sidon, you only get Tyre in the book of Mark, right? So that's why the Gospels support each other. And we go back into Matthew, and uh, in Matthew 15, and we'll be referring to this area quite frequently today here. In Matthew 15:21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. By the way, go into the next verse. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, "Get to that." Um, so, so what do you have here? You have Tyre mentioned by Mark. Matthew mentions both. We know exactly where he's at. And when you get to these Phoenician cities, just another thing about them, as they're a part of Syria, they're actually independent. They're independent cities. They're rivals of each other. Jefferson City, Columbia. The J's and the Cupies, rivals, right? I don't know if anybody here went to JC. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I did. Oh, hey, Kim did. Okay. Oh, Sherry did. Okay, now we're not alone. All right. So you see, you guys were all transported here. God did that. (laughs) He transported me here too. Carolyn's from Taos. She didn't go to JC. They had their own kings. They had their own gods, their own religions. They had their own coinage, money. So they were their own little cities. They were their own city-states, in a way. That's where Jesus is going. And it's kind of interesting. And when He had entered a house, He wanted no one to know of it. But then you have that next phrase. Yet He could not escape notice. He's kind of trying to do this thing incognito without people knowing, kind of hidden. 
goes into a house and the word gets around. Just like back in Galilee, everywhere he goes, can't get away. He has a private tour with his disciples. I don't know whose house it is. We get no explanation on that. Could have been a Jewish home. Doesn't have to be. But evidently somebody knew him or took him in, took them in. So the focus here is he wants to make sure that they get this gospel. Well, (laughs) but these are good teaching times. He wants to make sure that they understand more. But he can't escape notice. So it's hard to get along with them and, and do a good teaching time. So we see in verse 25, but after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately, every week, right? Came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. Catch this. Oh, get this. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She just kept doing that. Now this woman had to have known something about Jesus. I think she knows quite a bit. Tired and Sidon. Even though they're Gentile area, and we're only talking 40, 50 miles to 70, the word is getting around. It's getting around everywhere. And so this woman who is desperate goes right to him. As soon as she hears about Jesus being there, whether she had seen him, maybe she traveled all the way down to Capernaum. And it was such a big crowd, and maybe Jesus... Uh, was out in the boat and it was time to go or whatever and she missed him. Maybe she had, had been in the, the, the crowds and wanted to get to Jesus but couldn't because of her little girl. I don't know whether she'd been there. We don't know. She, she, she had heard about this. She heard about the news. Maybe she just now heard. I tend to think she's probably been hearing uh, about these things at least if not seeing. And we know that demon possession was rampant in the nation of Israel. And I would tend to think if it's rampant in Israel, it sure is all throughout the world at this time. I mean, crazy things are going on. Jesus, how many uh, demons had He cast out? Must have been thousands and thousands. Many times He had done that. And so how could she not know about this when you have somebody that has a disease or something wrong with them and it's life-threatening, it's a horrible thing that's going on, Uh, if it's you or somebody, you'll get on the Internet, you'll start checking out everything that you can, you'll ask people, I mean, you'll make calls, you'll, you'll go to doctors and whoever to get some kind of relief. What can I do? Is there any answer? And you'll keep looking and looking hard. You, you get consumed with the matter. And well, one could when it's so threatening as this. And her daughter was possessed. And we're talking uh, progressively scarring here and, and, and probably maimed. You know what the demons do to, to humans physically. Mentally, spiritually, every part of you. And we've seen that with uh, the two who Jesus had visited and, and uh, cast out the demons out of them. Now, so she's desperate. Well, what would you have done? I tend to think you probably... Uh, I'll try him out. Yeah. You look how many he did with everybody. Matter of fact, I know he can do something with this. I know he can. I'm going over there now. 
Daughter's not with her. She's not worried about that. She just needs to get to Jesus. So, the woman here fell at His feet. She comes to Him immediately and has never met Him officially. I don't think she's probably shaken hands with Him. Who knows? Anyway, right there she drops to the floor. Now that is something. You say, why is that something? I mean, she... This is a worshiping here is what it is, but, well, you just don't do that, Jesus. You don't have a woman come up there and fall at your feet. Matter of fact, you don't even teach them. You don't, you don't teach them. Pers- Rabbis don't have women hanging around them. They don't have them at their feet. And they would say, get away. Matter of fact, they'd go like this, and they would get away. And those are called the, the blind and bruised Pharisees. The bleeding and bruised Pharisees. The blind, bruised, bleeding Pharisees. Why would they be bleeding? Bruised. Well, if you cover your eyes up and you do not want to see the women as you're walking down the street, you start going like this and guess what you start bumping into? Walls. You know, they have these little paths you know, that are not very wide in the streets anyway. You've seen those pictures and there they are bumping into walls. Can you imagine that? How crazy it must have been to see these Pharisees and rabbis walking in the street covering their eyes up and all bruised and maimed up because of that falling down. They want to get away from the women. you know. So there you have a woman coming up to Him engaging in a conversation and she's worshiping Him. Well, she should. This is somewhat familiar with Jesus. Matter of fact, this is somewhat familiar with this Gentile woman, or Gentile women, or people. Go to Mark 3, 7 and 8. Early in the ministry, we saw people already know about Jesus. And look how far this extended. Jesus withdrew to the sea with His disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee, yeah, okay, followed, and also from Judea, okay, yeah, right, and from Jerusalem, okay, yeah, right, that's fine, and from Idumea, oh, well, okay, and beyond the Jordan, oh, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that He was doing and came to Him. So, I think she knows rather well who Jesus is. Or at least as much as been revealed to her. You just don't come up worshipping anybody, do you? I think there's a real worshipping. This is a proskuneo. Prostrating herself, laying herself out. She knew something special about Him. He's the only one who can do anything. Anyway, she knows that. He's the only way. She's coming from a Gentile area that has its own gods. And she has probably worshipped those gods. And now she knows those gods can't do anything for her daughter. All they did was possess her. <laughs> the demons come from false religions anyway. Don't I mean, the, the false religions come from the demon. It's a demonic thing. So I, I think what you have here is a lady who knows that Jesus is the only way. And yet you have people today who profess to be Christians and say, yes, we have our way to Jesus, but all the other people have their own ways that they'll get there too. No. Jesus is one way, only way. So she comes in faith. And that's kind of what we're talking about, what the title of this is today. It's great faith. And 
that is going to be taken out of our Matthew passage, really. That Jesus recognizes his faith. The faith that God gives her. So she has a lot of things against her as she comes to worship Jesus and to get her daughter healed from this terrible thing. Uh, she's a woman, first of all. And that's 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 a terrible strike in that society, whether you be Jew or Gentile, you were considered to be quite the less of a person. You're not really considered to be equal with men at all. Her nationality is against her. She lives in this society. She's Gentile. She's Syro-Phoenician. Syro dealing with Syria. Phoenician dealing with the Phoenicians. Syro-Phoenician. That's what she is. She is from there. That's who she is. This is quite interesting as the disciples are looking at this, seeing this Gentile woman. Is it supposed to do this? Is this okay? It's all right? Does Jesus know she's Syrophoenician? <laughs> Does Jesus know that... Well, He's healed women before. They know that. They don't have any trouble with the women thing because Peter's mother-in-law, for one thing, right? And many, many other. We know that. The Roman audience could identify with this name that Matthew calls her back in Matthew 15. She's called a Canaanite. Ooh. We know about that. I mean, the, the Syrophoenician, the Roman audience would recognize that. The Canaanite, let me make that clear, it, the Jews would understand. And Matthew writes to the Jews... And Mark writes to the Romans or the Gentiles. So Syrophoenician, the Gentiles understand that. You're writing to the Jews as Matthew is Canaanite. Isn't that interesting how the Gospels just kind of come together? There's a purpose for that. God thought it out. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Oh, the Jewish people, they uh, say Canaanite, huh? Huh. those guys are enemies. Matter of fact, if you go back to the time of Moses and then, then you think of uh, Joshua, Caleb, and the people crossing over, here's what I want you to do, God says. I want you to wipe out that race. I want you to wipe out the Canaanites from the old all the way down to the very young. Every one of them. That's where people have a little trouble with God. But he wanted none of them there. And the problem is, the job wasn't quite done. And the repercussions were incredible after that. Because he did not do what God said. So the Canaanites, Jewish readers identify with, they were bitter enemies. And so, she has a lot of strikes against her. Canaanite, Syrophoenician, Gentile, woman. Demons are against her because they possess her daughter. The disciples are against her. What? Do we see the disciples in this Mark passage? Where are they at? Well, I think we have to go back to Matthew. Matthew 15. Okay, she's crying out, 
Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. And we'll be covering that in a moment. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Look at this. But he did not answer her a word. He just kept quiet. Didn't say a thing. Now look at this. And his disciples came and implored him. They were begging him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. <laughs> Remember, she's crying out. And she's saying, Have mercy, you know, God, Lord, Son of David, you know, my daughter is demon possessed. And she kept saying it, and Jesus doesn't say a word. That's what's incredible. That's what you're, you're wondering. If you're there, you're going, Okay, if you're a disciple, you're thinking, okay, we've got to get her out of here. Jesus is not saying anything, and surely I'm getting tired of this loud voice. It's loud. I mean, it's louder than that. You want me to give you an example? No. <laughs> I'd use this microphone. But it was irritating, and then when this woman is nuts. She's crazy. Get her out. Of- Jesus, send her away. Now, she doesn't have much of anything going for her here, does she? And it's amazing that she'd even come into that room. You know, by this time, I'm thinking, okay, I'm out of here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I, I will not pursue this. Evidently, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm in, I'm in the wrong part of town. I'm in the wrong house. And they don't want to do anything about this. The disciples are out after you. They're like these big deacons coming up to somebody who's causing problems in the front row. See, that guy right there? He's starting to yell, I'm going to take the deacons. And they just take him and usher him out, right? Well, she's not ushered out. Then Jesus tells the disciples something, probably something she can hear, definitely. And it looks like Jesus is against her. We've already had, how many, three, four, five, six strikes or something like that? And she's still there. Because Jesus is not saying anything. Disciples are saying, get out of here. And she has a need, folks. I mean, she's not getting out of there until something happens. She's, I mean, she's desperate. She kept asking and asking. Did, did you see how Matthew had, had made that clear? And in, in Mark it says it in verse 26, and she kept asking Him to cast the demon out. Didn't give up. She just kept at it. Persistent. Samuel Rutherford said this It is faith's work. Faith, she is faith. To claim and challenge loving kindnesses out of all the roughest strokes of God. <laughs> to all the different things that you go through, just keep claiming and challenging all His mercy. That's what she's doing. She knows Jesus is the only answer. She knows there is no other answer but through Him. Now in Matthew 15.22 comes out. She's crying out. This is, this is loud. It's not just, Hey Jesus, Jesus, can you help me out here? Have mercy on me. Look at this. Look at her faith as she cries out. She didn't care how many people heard. She didn't care this. She was persistent and loud. And she says, have mercy. Now that's a key word. Boy, does this tell us something here? Have mercy. You know, she could have argued. She 
could have argued the fact that, hey, listen, you healed all those thousands of people down there, and hey, listen, I'm at least as good as at least half those people. I'm as good, right? Hey, hey, look, demon possession. You know, this is a big thing. This is even more important than uh, than other things. You know, people who who are deaf, at least they they can maneuver and, and think and and function. My daughter can't even function. She didn't give any arguments to Jesus. She she does not there to convince him of her goodness and that she has a right to something. But she comes pleading his mercy. You know why? Because she knew she didn't deserve anything from Jesus. And that's the way it is when one comes to Christ. A true salvation is we don't deserve a thing. She knew that. And we looked last week, I believe, at uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Of course, the Pharisee was saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this man. And and uh, I look at all, all I do, my tithing and such. You know, he, he's claiming something. He's arguing with God that, hey, I'm good enough to get in there. And that is the second religion. And only two. That second religion is wrong. Desperately, terribly wrong. It will never work. And Jesus gets very angry at that kind of religion. She doesn't deserve a thing. She just like the tax collector beating his breast, not even looking up to heaven and saying, be merciful on me, a sinner. She knows that. And to even get in his sight and, and then to be right there before him. She doesn't deserve that. Have mercy on me. And then she calls him son of God. I think she knows a lot more than most of the people down south, especially in Capernaum. She knows a lot. Son of David. Son of God. I mean, this is a deity term, folks. This is a messianic title. This is a Jewish messianic title. When she says, Son of David, is that what it says? Are you kidding me? We're back in Matthew, right? Does that kind of grab you? She's not Jewish. Son of David. God has revealed a lot to her already. You are Son of David. You are coming from the king of the line. You are the Messiah. How many Jews had said this? Now, it's really interesting. Are, are you still in Matthew? Uh, this is this verse that's down through the years was always kind of, um, I don't know if you can say troublesome. It didn't trouble me. I was just like, I, I, don't, I don't quite, I don't know what he's doing here, but he's doing something right. I know that. But what's happening here? I mean, Verse 23 says in Matthew 15, but he did not answer her a word. And that's when she keeps asking him to do this. Does this fit with Jesus? Can you imagine somebody really, really needing help? 
And if they came to you, and I mean, they're needing some help, some things that you can do, you know, give them a ride. I mean, they, they need to go to the hospital really quick. Uh, you're going to do something, right? You know, whatever. Call 911. You have a car. You're going to take them there. Call an ambulance. I don't know. You're going to do something, right? And Jesus just kind of sits there. Can you imagine treating somebody with cold silence? This is the one who is the only one, and he's seemingly refusing to help. But you know what? His silence was not ignoring her at all. This is all a part of the plan. It's a great teaching tool. It's a great teaching tool to stretch her faith, maybe, but I think the disciples are going to be taught here as they watch this. This is definitely not punitive in a punishment way for her as he just kind of turns his head. Didn't say that. As far as Jesus was concerned, this is a divine appointment. Do you remember whenever Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4? That was a divine appointment. I mean, he knew exactly when that woman was going to be there and when she needed to be converted and how he did it. Oh, it was a beautiful thing. Well, this is not as noted as that one, but I think it's as incredible. The uh, woman, whenever Jesus came there, she had a need, but she didn't even know what it was. This woman knows her need. And either way, Jesus converted him. Tasker, commentator, wrote this. We know that he came to do the will of God, right? Tasker wrote, he couldn't spend all of his time, every second of the day, all of his time, his ministry here, on every person. It's limited. He couldn't do that. In every circumstance. He couldn't do it all over the world, could he? He had a time allotted that his ministry was to be done. He couldn't get to everybody. That's something that Jesus couldn't do. Now, it could have been. God could have made that happen. But he made a set time in this human way. Leon Morris wrote this. I think this is a pretty good way to put it too. As we talk about Jesus' silence and then the statement that he makes. There are mysteries here that we cannot solve. It's like in our own lives. Why do we go through certain situations? We don't really have the answer. We know that God is sovereign and in control. We always go to that answer. And boy, isn't that good that we know we can always do that. There are things we cannot answer. Is this practical or what? Right? Things that we really don't know why. But while Jesus came to make atonement for sins, while He was here to do this, as Morris goes on to say, He did not come to engage in worldwide missions in healing. Many people that still didn't get healed, even though there were thousands and thousands. In light of this, this is how the encounter with the woman is to be understood. As Morris is saying, there's still a mystery involved in this, but we're going to try to dig in as much as we can and solve as much as we can. Because the whole Bible, ultimately, is something that we don't fully understand. right? That's why we never give up on the Bible and say, okay, I've read it all. I've gone through the Bible. I've read it ten years in a row. I already know what it says. It's kind of repeating. I don't need to do that anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> we know better than that. We know every time we open this book, 
We know every time we open this book, we will get fresh new insight because it has an author who lives. And so he makes his word speak. Speaks rather boldly. But we still don't have it all together. We don't know a lot. We have an eternity to find out. We have time here on earth to learn more about who He is. So that's what's so exciting about turning into your Bible and saying, oh, I'm tired. And, yeah, okay, I better open up the Bible. And you start reading into it, and oh man, all of a sudden you get new life. Has it ever happened? Isn't it great? Well, in Matthew 15:23. Did not answer a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. <laughs> oh, she's a woman with this child, and this child was destroyed by the devil. Being destroyed by the devil. But add to this, the disciples were against this woman as well. Okay, the, the demon is against. Her. But the disciples aren't helping out at all either, are they? Disciples are just saying, get rid of her. Look, Lord, sort her out. Deal with her because she's getting on our nerves. <laughs> and listen, she's shouting. This is just crazy. Deal with her, Lord. But remains in silence. Jesus is. Disciples, they don't want her bothering him, crying out. In Matthew 15.24, I keep going back there. But He answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, He's saying this as the disciples are there He's hearing this and He's saying, I didn't come here for Gentiles. I came here first for the Jews. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Myself? I give up really pretty quick. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's good seeing you. It really is. I, I, I go on out. I stop. I quit. She she doesn't do that. She doesn't leave. Only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Turn to Matthew 10, verse 5 and 6. I said, what is, what is Jesus doing? Boy, is that compassion or... No, I don't think so. This doesn't sound like Jesus. Is this really Jesus? Is this an imposter? Is this an antichrist? <laughs> These twelve... Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. When you go out and minister right now at this time, do not enter into any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go preach to them. Uh, Sounds like he's a bigot. You know? It sounds like he is drawing a line here and he's he's not going to deal with those guys. He's been rejected in Capernaum. You know what? We know that the religious hitmen have been after him. And they've come from Jerusalem and all over the places and trying to trap him. So he goes here 
and, and you think, okay, now he's going to the Gentile. Well, he is. You know, he, he, he's going out to reach to the Gentiles, so why the statement? To the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. The Jew first. Did you know in the Old Testament, that's the way it always was. But in the Old Testament, he talks about going to the nations that are from afar. He talks about the Gentiles. This is us. This is us, guys. What a promise it was. Aren't you glad that it didn't stop with a, to the Jew and not to the Gentile? Because none of us would be here and we wouldn't care. <laughs> and then we'd be on our way to hell. All the way to hell. This is the plan. So in the Old Testament, we see that. We know, but the, the Jews, even in the, the Ten Commandments, or just before the Ten Commandments are given, they are actually seen as priests. And we know that that's going to be like they're priests to us. They're the ones who gave us the Old Testament. They're the ones who gave us the New Testament. They gave us the oracles. They gave us the law. Jesus was a Jew. The twelve apostles were Jews. Isn't it amazing? To the Jew first. Uh, Jesus came to the lost house of Israel. That's what we see Jesus saying. It was in the Old Testament. And we see it in the book of Acts where at first the pattern goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what Jesus is telling the apostles at that time. Go ye therefore. Right? Making disciples. All the nations. That's what they're going to do. But at this particular time, that's why He hasn't gone to them yet. But now it's time to give a little bit of a lesson to the disciples as He's in the Gentile city doing something for the Gentile woman. And in Romans 1.17 as we see this extend out from the book of Acts. Remember in one sixteen, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans one sixteen there. And then he talks about faith. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed. In the Gospel that is so powerful, in that good news, it's so powerful. What's in it? The righteousness of God. You are unrighteous before you know Christ until your life is converted. You are unrighteousness on your way to hell. And then the righteousness of God is revealed to us from faith to faith as written. But the righteous man or the just shall live by faith. That's always been here. This was before the book of Romans. It was in the Old Testament. And it was all who believe, once He grants that faith to that just person, they are now justified before a holy God. Even though they are sinners, they are justified. And they live by faith. That is what's happening with this woman. Look at her faith. So, Jesus responds, says to the Jew first, if the silence was not enough, He adds this statement, 
And his words almost seem to exclude her. <laughs> I mean, she's still there. Would it be right to take breakfast to the children? To give them breakfast at the table and then say, no, and take it right from them and then give it to the dogs. <laughs> Let's read that statement there in, in Mark. He was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread, the Jews, and throw it to the dogs. Boy, he just keeps it on. A dog is a very derogatory term. I don't care how you put it, how you try to soften it down. To be called a dog is not really one of the nicer things for people to say unless you happen to be on a team. The dogs, you know, rough, mangy, you know. To the Jew is definitely a term of contempt. Do not give to dogs what is holy, Jesus says. In Philippians 3.2, it talks about the ones who are preaching circumcision added to Jesus. Talking dogs there. In Revelation 22.15, outside the kingdom of God, outside of heaven, are the dogs. Dogs. Jesus uses the word dog here. What are you doing, Jesus? What, 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 what's happening here? Does this get the attention? Nations of the world. In Isaiah 56.11, if you wanted to go there, you could. Uh, they're compared to dogs. The Gentiles are compared. That's what the Jews thought of as the Gentiles. They're dogs. A dog is an insult. Well, how do you explain Jesus using an insult? Because Jesus doesn't insult people, does He? No. One thing, if this helps any at all, the word for dog here is a different word for dog that is used usually in the case of a mangy, mean, killer type dogs that were found on the streets. You know, and they lived out of the trash and you know, they would they would actually bite people and they had all sorts of diseases. It was it was terrible. And nobody liked that kind of dog. You see that kind of dog, you get away from it, you know. And it's kinda of like the you know they 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 can attack. They're mean. This is a dog that's kind of meant like a house dog. A house pet. That helps a little bit. <laughs> you, little, you little house pet dog. Yeah. Still wasn't a compliment. Alistair Begg suggests this, and I think this is worth thinking about. Sometimes, without seeing body language and the eyes, we can't always understand the statement. In the Bible, it is recorded the Word of God and everything we need. But there are times when you would love to see Jesus in the manner, the way that He spoke it. You know, okay, I'm, I'm speaking here. I've got some body language going and sometimes my eyes might speak and emphasize off of what I just said. You're seeing you know, something that I'm trying to deliver that you know, can make somewhat of an impact on, on, on you, right? And that means a lot. You can listen to the CD. You can, you can hear it on the, the Internet and, and, and thousands of different teachers, right? But to not be there... 
you're going to miss some things. Even though you hear the same thing that everybody else hears. As a matter of fact, you can speed it up and back it up and go forward, do whatever you want with it. That's great. But still, you can't see what is being delivered. So that is why they should have had video back then. Why didn't Jesus invent video? <laughs> well, then we'd be watching things and we really wouldn't be reading. And it was perfect timing. We can't see His eyes. We, we can't hear His tone of voice here. All we can do is read it. I think it would be quite fascinating if we could. I mean, it really would be, wouldn't it? But I think the voice, as Alistair Begg suggested, made all the difference here. And in the way that he's speaking to this lady here, uh, you can take uh, one word and how you say it can either be deadly as an insult or very affectionate in how it is stated, uh, that tone of voice. You can call a man an old rascal. Boy, you can say that in a derogatory term or you can say actually in kind of a humorous word. Look what he did for us. Can you believe all the things that he did? That rascal, you know. (laughs) So, uh, I don't think he has a voice of contempt here at all. We know that just by Jesus' character and what happens out of this. I think the eyes... uh, I don't want to read into this and I, I was telling Dwayne last week a lot of times and he wasn't even asking me about it I was just saying it, it's kind of interesting sometimes I have to put in, input some things there that may not be in the text and I always try to qualify that because sometimes I don't know how far to take that you want it to come alive but you suggest some things we don't know but he, he could have smiled here this could have been you, you've got a conversation going on and maybe she's smiling when she comes up with her grand statement you know I think it would have been priceless to have witnessed this little engagement of Jesus and this woman and the disciples I think it would have been incredible to have been there wouldn't you love to see this I wonder in eternity if we'll be able to go through some of these personal stories that he went through. We'll have eternity to go through. And he says, listen guys, I don't have to put in a a DVD or anything. Watch this. It's right before your eyes and you see all that went on. I don't know. I I hadn't even planned to put that in the message here. And and probably if uh, if this goes out on CD, I would suggest somebody to strike that out. But, you you know, your imagination can go crazy, but... At the same time, I have to think that some of these things would play a a huge part. And I don't think, I definitely don't think you see Jesus shutting the door. Matter of fact, it's not that I think at all. I know that he's not shutting the door on on this woman here. And uh, first he said to her, first the children must be fed, but only the first, and then. What is left can go to the household pets. But his tone is probably much better than that. It, you know, it wouldn't be right to give to the kids their Rice Krispies. And then whatever's left, or, or to give those Rice Krispies to the dogs right off the bat. We'll give whatever's left to the, the dogs there. They can lap that up, you know, and. Some people give them cereal bowls. I don't know about that. but Some let them drink the milk out of there. Um, I guess Jesus broke the rule on uncleanness, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine the glory 
that, that was happening here, of His grace that has been extended out here, that, that's happening as he's, he's opening this up. He's not harsh at all. Matter of fact, the grace door is just being opened wide as he's taking her to a higher step in faith or we're seeing that. Maybe it's just being exposed for the faith that she's had. I mean, that's much more than I would have had. You know? And, and of course, it's all by God's grace that she can even do that. She calls him Lord. She's already called him that. What a predicament she's in. And I think that she just keeps calling out. We need to keep praying, desiring his will. A genuine faith keeps knocking. It's persistent. Persistent. And I think of uh, where Jesus spoke about storming the gates of heaven. People are trying to get in to those gates. She's one who is for real. A lot of the other ones, they don't really want to get in the gate. They just want to get whatever they can get now. Right? Their best life? Now, Jesus, I think, loves the statement that she makes. This is incredible. I think you see humility here. I think you see uh, her recognizing His Lordship. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. This is beautiful. This is great. I, I, she's, she knows she's unworthy. She doesn't argue here that she deserves this. She does none of that, as we've already pointed out. She knows her own position. And yet there she is, appealing to him, not on her own righteousness at all. And look at the wit. You know, I know the children are fed first, but can I even get the scraps that the children throw away? <laughs> and I have to wonder if maybe she's smiling a little bit there, as Jesus might have been, uh, possibly as he made his statement, because this is a, uh, something they would have kind of been familiar with anyway. And uh, so anyway, we have this statement that Jesus makes. I just, I, I just love it the way that. This whole thing comes down. Jesus had to love what she said. It's as if he says, You know what? <laughs> that was a pretty good response. <laughs> That's what he's saying to her. You know, I really like that. That's a good response. And for a response like that, you know what? You can go home now, and when you get there, you'll find the demon has left your daughter. She's okay. Wow. So he knew all along what this was. He draws out of her what he needed to show where she was at. And she was truly one of faith. And the disciples are going, oh, <laughs> he did it again. And they're going to be sent to these same people sometime. They needed this lesson. You can go home now. The demon has left your daughter. You know what? I think this provokes the minds and the hearts, the disciples, even the woman. What a beautiful God. God is now reaching out to grace to the Gentiles. That's what He's doing. doesn't shut the door. She walked right through the door. 
whatever faith she had on her part gives God all the glory because He's the one that grants the faith. And she knows about the repentance. God's grace is free. It's not harsh at all, is it? What a gracious, gracious opening. Self-sufficiency wasn't even there with this woman. Self-sufficiency, our independence has to be completely gone when we come to Christ and recognize we don't have anything for Him. It's all Him. He is a sufficient one. And He is the one we are completely dependent upon in every situation. When we get up in the morning, He woke us up today. We have life. We take it for granted. We actually rolled out of the bed even though we didn't feel like it. And we got up, put on clothes. Oh man, that bed felt good. But we got up. He gave us the strength to do that. He gave us the strength to brush our teeth and wash our hair, whatever we do, all that stuff. And we somehow got here. We got here in cars or we walked or, you know... My, we walked into this room. We have a room. He provides everything. He just lays it all out. Here's the feast, folks. Here it is. He's the one who did it. Yeah, we walked. Yeah, I got up. Yeah, that's true. You did. But He could have chosen not to wake you up and not to give you the strength to be able to get... Even though you're feeling unhealthy and you don't feel so good even. And But look at what He's got. You know, the Phillips... Philip Brooks, a Puritan, said about prayer, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of His willingness. Because we want His will. And He is willing to do His will when we line up with His will. God sometimes delays in answering your prayers. He does that to increase our faith. He didn't immediately do the healing with that woman. He could have. He said, stop right there. It's done. Going home, check her out. He could have done that. No, 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 no. This was a perfect time. Made her wait. They didn't say, yeah, that was probably only for a few minutes. Remember what she went through to do that. (laughs) But it might have been just a few minutes, but he delayed. And in Matthew, and we close this out, guys. We close this out. It's an hour and two minutes. Can I read the Matthew one? Okay, thanks. Okay, Matthew 15, and I close. 15, verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. In Mark, and going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed the demon having left. What a way of training. Giving us persevering faith. We don't want to be a generation of quitters. And this is easy to do. As I said, it's easy to quit on things. Keep praying. Things were harder years ago for people in, in an everyday sense. Back at that time, people had to strive for their bread. They had the sweat from their brow just to get their food for the day. They live one day at a time. We have food stocked in our refrigerators, in our cabinets, downstairs in the basement. We have food just at food, food. We can get food anytime we want. But you know what? They had to strive in a lot of things. 
And this is one that we have to continue to do, is strive in prayer. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. You are a holy God. Thank You for this message that You have given us today that this is a lesson not only for the woman, for the disciples, but for all of the church throughout all the ages and right here today as we sit in this room, as we witness a tremendous thing that happened. May we have the faith as You teach us more and more that we just trust in You. Just trust in You, Lord. You have it all in control. In Your Son's name, Amen.